You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Just like that, the final hour is here for Outkick 360 on the Friday edition. We made it. Almost. Almost made it. Matt said we couldn't. Close. Or Matt heard from he the did. people who said we couldn't make it. But here we are. He reports that every day. One hour left. That's, that's so what he does. We show up and he says, guys, you've already failed. And that, uh, Matt serves as like our hate barometer. Yeah. He goes out there. He gets out in the streets. And he goes out in the bar room. We're here. And he finds out everyone who says we couldn't make it. And he brings that intel back to us and tells us, and then it fuels us the rest of the show. Much like being picked last at an NBA All-Star game could fuel a player into a great career, that's what Matt does for us. Uh, not pick last. is Zach Dean from Outkick.com because he gets to cover the Daytona 500, and he joins us now, and he's been busy. He's writing nightcaps, which is available now at Outkick.com and in your inbox every day by around 4 o'clock Eastern. You can check that out. Uh, leading off is the tampon gate with Tiger Woods and uh, Justin Thomas from the uh, from Riviera at the Genesis Invitational. Zach, good to see you, man, and hope you're enjoying Daytona. And I saw after that story published, like right at the same time, Tiger went out and apologized. Is that true? So I guess he didn't read oh, it, I guess. I hope he didn't apologize. I've yet to see no, that. No, I but think I, I, I saw he, he apologized. Oh, I'm no. pretty sure he I'm pretty sure he bent the knee. So I you know, I try to defend him and then he goes and does something like that. So Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, he does I mean, again, it's it's so uh obvious that it, it was a joke and it's been played up as something more than that. It's ridiculous. Um Give us the lay of the land of Daytona for those who have never been. I've never been to the 500. I enjoy keeping up with race day. Um, and it's the Super Bowl in week one instead of the final week of the season. Uh, what is it like boots on the ground there? Mayhem. Just just chaos. I mean, it's you know this is probably my fifth or sixth 500 I've covered. Um, and you just, you can't get here early enough to do it or to, to beat the traffic, even on a Friday when it's just a truck race tonight and they have qualifying for the trucks going on right now in practice. Cup guys aren't even on the ground today. They're not even doing anything, I'm pretty sure. But the traffic is still unreal trying to get in and out. Uh, it's it's pandemonium once you go under the tunnel to go, you know, you get you, you, you pull into Daytona, you get through all the security nonsense, you go under the turn four tunnel, or sorry, turn one tunnel. And once you come out of there, it's just campers and RVs and it, it, it looks like when you open up the gates to Disney World and everybody just runs in, that's literally what it's like all throughout the infield of Daytona. And it's a huge infield. Like, you know, some of these tracks are so small, Martinsville, Bristol, whatever you want to talk about. They're so tiny, even at Coliseum a couple of weeks ago. Daytona International Speedway is so giant. It's like, a, it, it's like an, an entirely different community and city by itself that once you get in there, if you don't know what you're doing, you can get lost because I have gotten lost one of my first times covering the race. If you get into the bowels too much, you might never come out. So it's just, it's chaos. It's crazy. There's bush light everywhere, which I love. I mean, it's just, <laughs> can't beat that. So um, when it's hot out like it is right now, it's not bad scenery. Um, so it was a lot of fun. 
<laughs> that Bush Light Super Bowl ad was really good too with Sarah McLaughlin. So I, I like it more after that ad. So we were at the Waste Management Open last weekend, Hutton and I, and people asked, you know, what's it like? And I'd say it's unlike any golf event I've ever witnessed in terms of the atmosphere, the clientele, everything there. Very different. How hmm. does Daytona, you know, other than traffic and everything else, how does it separate itself from other races? I'm sure, you know, venue, where you are in America for a race has a lot to do with it. But what is so different about this one as opposed to other races? Yeah, for one, it's the crowds. I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about the crowds, but even when it comes to NASCAR, because you've heard for years how attendance is dwindling and, and, and whatnot. And that's true across the board, really across all sports, you know, minus football. Um, but the crowds are just, it's incredible. It's 101,000 plus people all, all packed in at the same time. And you get to go out to the ball field before the race. The Daytona 500 pre-race ceremonies, when they open the garage, you can go out to the ball field right on pit road. And it's just completely shoulder to it, it, It's like a festival. Seriously, it's like Woodstock. I and mean, I wasn't at Woodstock. Maybe you guys were. I don't know. But <laughs> I wasn't there. But I've heard that comparison many times. And it's just the crowds. You just you don't get it anywhere else. Even Talladega, which is bigger than Daytona. Even at the championship race of Phoenix. It, it, it doesn't come anywhere close to the crowds. And what separates NASCAR from other sports is the fact that those crowds can be field level or, you know, on the track in the garage. It's like it's the equivalent of if you could open up the Super Bowl locker rooms to, to, to fans. You can't do that. Nobody does that. You don't open up Major League Baseball clubhouses. They open up pit road to fans. Pit, I mean, fans are walking down pit road right where they're working on cars and, and right where they're in three hours going to be driving 180 miles an hour. But, but fans are just walking and having a good time and drinking beer and listening to music and it's just chaos. But but it's controlled chaos that that you you really truly don't get at very many other venues. Trying to pick the winner of the five hundred is an extremely difficult uh, any year. But uh, last year Austin Centric wins it as a rookie. Um, this year, if you look at the odds, everyone I mean there are twenty drivers bunched up together at around plus twelve hundred to plus sixteen hundred. Uh, among the favorites up top, Zach, who do you point to as the favorite, given that everyone's bunched together? Let's just start with the group of drivers everyone would know. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mention that. I'm actually just finishing up a story right now, putting together the gambling odds and the best bets and the sleepers. And it's tough. It's it's the probably the biggest wild card of the season, so it's tough to handle. Zach Dean with us, and he's in he's in one of these little pods down in Daytona, the media pods. Um, there's so many people there, Chad. They're jumping on the Wi-Fi. Yeah, everybody's on the Wi-Fi at the same time, so we'll hopefully reconnect with them and be able to continue talking about this. It is an event, Hutton, that I've always wanted to go to. I've heard from people in NASCAR, you want to go to Talladega yeah, before Daytona. Say, to me, the, the waste management open version of NASCAR would be Talladega. Talladega. I've heard great things about Bristol. I've been there for a football game yes. when Tennessee played yeah. Virginia Tech, but never been there for a race. So, yeah, I mean, Daytona's definitely on the list. It is the, you know, it's the big one in NASCAR, but it's interesting to hear his take on it, having been there so often. Zach Dean back with us from OutKick. Zach, not your fault. Blame NASCAR uh, for the, the frozen Wi-Fi there. Uh, pick up where you were discussing. You're writing a current piece for OutKick on the favorites and who you would point to. Uh, where, you, where do you lean and why? 
Yeah, you look at the favorites. Um, you know, Denny Hamlin's an obvious one. He's a three-time winner. He's, you know, I was just looking at DraftKings. He's not even the favorite. For some reason, Kyle Larson's the favorite. I don't understand that. Kyle Larson's never won this race. Kyle Larson, if I'm remembering correctly, has never won a super speedway race. So I'm not really sure why he's the favorite. It seems, seems a little silly to me. Uh, I definitely wouldn't go there. Denny Hamlin, I think, is sitting at 13 to 1. I don't think it's a bad little sprinkle. Um, Bubba Wallace at 18 to 1, not a bad sprinkle. He's always, always, always up front at the end of this race. Uh, Michael McDowell, I think, is maybe the best bet. I don't understand why he's 35 to 1. He's a former winner. He's always, always in contention here, here in Talladega. He's got the respect of the other drivers because he's won this race and he knows how to win it. So I think, you know, a long shot to me, I don't understand why he's still a long shot, but at 35 to 1, I think you're stealing money with Michael McDowell if you sprinkle a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, it's such a tough race because it's 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 all out of the driver's control. I mean, it's all about where you are. And now two years ago, three years ago, this race, the big one happened on lap 14, and it took out half the field. And it's like, why are you guys wrecking on lap 14 of a 200-lap race? when you're supposed to just try to get, you know, make it to the end. So it just kind of depends on if you're in the right place at the right time. And that's why it took so long for Dale Earnhardt to win this race, because he was never in the right place at the right time. And when he was, something went wrong. So it's a tough race to handicap. Michael so, McDowell, Chad, I'm betting it right now. Nice, yeah. I, I will once we're done with this interview, for sure. Uh, I've long been a fan of screen caps with Joe Kinsey. Now with night caps, and I'm, I'm looking at some of the headlines. I, I love what I've read so far. Take us through the process, Zach, when you write a nightcaps of where you're looking, what stories you're looking for, is anything out of bounds, what type of feedback you're getting, what rabbit holes are you going down, what's it been like writing this column so far for OutKick? Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, I had the I had the Monday morning pit stop NASCAR column, which was kind of a little bit of a delve into the screen cap world that I've been doing for six or seven months, and it's done really well. Uh, but nightcaps has been a, a whole different animal. It's been fun because you get to go and, and you know, you get to kind of do entertainment crossover and you get to do it, it. It's not just sports. In fact, a lot of it's not sports. It's it's what people are talking about. It's what's weirdly trending. I mean, this week I wrote about a, a Lindsay Lohan stripper horror movie from 2007 that after 15 years, for some reason, became Netflix's most watched movie over the weekend. And it's a terrible movie, but it's Lindsay Lohan stripping because she's lost her identity and someone's trying to kill her and it's a terrible movie. And I'm like, why is that trending? I'm like, well, you know, that if I'm thinking that maybe other people are thinking that. So um, it, it, it takes you in different directions. Today's was easy. I mean, Tiger Woods, not surprisingly got hammered by the mob because they got all up in arms because of the tampon thing. And of course you're like, that's just a joke. Obviously it's just guys playing golf. But then you look at Twitter and you look at USA Today, my former employer, who, thank God, I'm not there anymore. They're, like, writing columns, like, saying Tiger should be ashamed of himself. I'm like, well, what are they doing here? Like, this is so this is so stupid. But 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 it's so, it, it gives me a platform to make fun of people and make fun of things and, and bring out, you know, a, a different trending, whether it's pop culture or sports, and, and give our readers sort of a different view or, or a different look at things. And, you know, I, I likened it to... I used to live in Boston, so I used, to, I used to take subway everywhere, and I would be in school all day in college, and I'd miss a ton of things. So I'd get back on the subway and have a 40-minute ride home, and I'm sitting there, I'm staring at my phone the whole time, trying to catch up on what I missed throughout the day or 
watching funny videos. And, and that's kind of what I want night, nightcaps to be. I want you to be able to catch up on things you missed or things that make you laugh or things that make you roll your eyes that, that you may have missed throughout the day and pass the time for 30 minutes every night. Uh, to reading Tiger's apology, uh, at least he didn't apologize for doing it. He's apologizing for if you're offended. I didn't mean it as that in any way, shape, or form. It was, uh, it's turned into, uh, 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 it's all fun and games. Obviously, it hasn't turned out that way. If I offended anybody, that was not the case. Um, he, did, he came short of saying, if I'm offended that you're offended, which I think would be hilarious. But he said, "If you're offended, I apologize. That's it's not. I, I'm not sorry for it. But if you're offended, well, he never said sorry or apologize. He just said uh, it wasn't meant to be yeah. something to offend you. Yes, yeah. Which is what I mean. Exactly what was should, done there. Yeah, need to be said for starters. Yeah. <laughs> he, for those that don't know, he outdrove Justin Thomas on the ninth hole yesterday, and um, and a on a move that was not meant for cameras to pick up, reached his hand out, dropped something in Justin Thomas's hand, and if you zoom in, you can see the Tampax logo. And it was Justin Thomas laughed when, when he saw it also. And, of course, Christine Between Brennan was friends. offended. Yes. Christine Brennan, who I'm sure did not write a column on Don Lemon this week, uh, wrote a column on Tiger Woods. I wrote a column about, <laughs> uh, um, you know, now young girls won't want to play golf anymore because of this, because right. they're clearly not welcome. I mean, that is a stretch. Congrats no, on not being a yeah, USA Today think, anymore. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's funny because I'm out in the media center, which is right to my left right here, and, and I'm sitting, I mean, you know, I, I still have my old seat at the media center, which is right by my former employers, the Daytona Beach News Journal, which I still have great friends over there. Like, they're not, you know, they, they I, have, I have buddies over there who, one, one of them has covered NASCAR for 40 years, who actually really helped me break into this business as far as NASCAR goes, and uh, I, I tell him all the time he would be perfect at OutKick because he feels the exact same way as I do, and he's one of the few people who are still stuck in that prison of, of the corporate mainstream media that's just spouting off about Tiger Woods today. And it's just like, guys, my God, it's 2023. You, you, you just can't laugh at anything. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Let's imagine which sports can do it and which sports can't. UFC, I mean, turn on a press conference. See the language and the references they make. Not a peep, not a peep about it. But Tiger Woods does something, well, and, like and it, you have to zoom in on it, and then yeah. Help. Well, comedians were, uh, you know, they were shielded from all of this, for, and a lot of them still are. But you yeah. can say anything when you watch a stand-up special, and that kind of went away with Dave Chappelle and some of the backlash. So you know, it, it's it's all coming down next, uh, right? All of comedy is is dead. Zach, best rivalry right now in NASCAR. Hmm. Good question. Um, I think it's an easy one right now. It's it's Joey Logano and Kyle Busch. I wrote about it in my Monday morning pit stop column last Monday. Um, after the clash out in the Coliseum, Kyle Busch went on Sirius XM radio and called Joey Logano a two-faced liar because they did a spot up in the box booth during the heat races and they were all buddy-buddy and giggly-giggly. And they went out on the track and raced each other and Logano dumped him and Kyle Busch got pissed about it and called him out after the race and said that he's a two-faced liar and should never trust him. And then uh, Logano fired back and said, well, yeah, I am two-faced, you know, basically deal with it. Sorry, we're, I'm trying to win a race. So I think right, right now, and I think you're going to see it percolate throughout the year. That seems like one, you know, getting off on the right foot, Logano and Kyle Busch, two veterans, two champions, two very brash personalities. I think it's a good one. Um, you know, Ross Chastain last year wrecked everybody, including Denny Hamlin, and, and took it in the chin a few times. I don't know if there's a rivalry there yet, but 
I don't think he's probably going to wreck some people along the way this year and get it back to him. So, but, but yeah, I, I think Logano and Kyle Busch, and frankly, it's good for NASCAR because NASCAR is always better when people are yelling at each other and throwing punches and calling people, you know, dicks on Sirius XM radio. So, outkick.com slash bet is where you can go. And right now, you can get Michael McDowell at plus 4,000. Uh, yeah. So, not bad. Yeah. So, go ahead and put 10 bucks down on that. Uh, and, and make you a little cash based on what Zach Dean's advice would be on a flyer. Uh, good news for you. Great weather, as you well know. Great weather on Sunday is expected. It can change, but high 70s, sunny. Can't ask for much more uh, for the Daytona 500. Zach, thank you so much, man. We'll be uh, tuned in to your coverage at Outkick. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Let's do it again. Thanks, yeah. Zach. And go check out Outkick.com where you can subscribe for nightcaps uh, as well as uh, screencaps so you can get in the morning. Chad, uh, a piece that was at OutKick this past summer slash spring, about a year ago, maybe a little bit later than that, you had a piece involving SEC and future scheduling once Texas and Oklahoma joined the conference. And this ties in to the Trey Wallace podcast and his conversation with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. We will discuss that and compare it to what you wrote about and what you brought to the show and what I think is a great model. Yeah, and it's, it looks like, by all accounts, from Sankey and everyone else reporting on it, that they will move to a 6-3 model, mm-hmm. six rotating opponents, three constant opponents. I've got a plan for the three constant opponents for every team in the new SEC, including Texas and Oklahoma. And the new SEC also includes ESPN, and there's one aspect that Chad doesn't agree with with this and what changes could be coming for scheduling. That's next to now Kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Tiger Woods had to apologize for the prank that he pulled on Justin Thomas. With JT from nine yesterday, it's kind of going viral. Can you kind of just explain your thoughts behind it? Yeah, it was supposed to be, you know, a fun and game, but obviously it's, it hasn't turned out that way. And if I offended anybody, it was not the case. It was just uh, friends having, having fun. And, yeah. As I said, if, if I offended anybody in any way, shape, or form, I'm sorry. Um, it was not intended to be that way. Uh, it's just, you know, we, we play pranks on one another all the time. And uh, virally, I, I think this did not come across that way. But between us, it was, it was different. Exactly. Between us, it's different with Tiger and JT. I thought that was fine. He didn't really apologize. No. And the, the uh, and woman it, asking the question wasn't, that was not a gotcha type thing. No, it was just. She's laughing is, as she said it. Hey, it's kind of gone viral, become a story. You know, tell us about the, the joke and the prank. And then he talked about it. That's fine. I just hate forced apologies. And I feel like when you're saying, 
as you're laughing, hey, if anyone was offended, I, I apologize. I'm so, sorry. I mean, yeah, you have it's John, So you have John Rahm saying yesterday after the first round, which was a great first round, uh, and the, the trio there of McElroy, Justin Thomas, and Tiger, great round of golf yesterday, where Tiger was, what, two under? Yeah, two under. Yep. Uh, you have that. You have John Rahm saying, you know, it's not a major. I'm not trying to compare it to a major, but it has the feel of a big tournament at the Genesis Invitational. We're tuned in over the last two days, making the reporters there relevant for their coverage of Tiger Woods at 47 years old, limping around a course, unlikely to make the cut. And this has to be the story because you're generic country club prank where you outdrive a guy happens on how how dare they the PGA course of Riviera and because we have to zoom in on it to see the name brand on whatever it was that was handed to him was that a hundred dollar bill no it was a tampon it's you bring up an interesting point that Tiger Woods is the only reason that America's interested. It's the only reason we're talking about the PGA in this, today. In this tournament, right? I mean, yeah, the diehards are going to be interested. And they're going to, the gamblers will be interested. They'll watch on Saturday and Sunday. But we've been updating a Thursday and Friday of the Genesis Invitational. Yes. Because of Tiger Woods. And because Tiger Woods does, you know, it's immature, sure. It's a joke. Guys do immature things all the time. Girls do immature things all the time. It's a joke amongst good friends. It's just so overblown. Yes. And I just, it's tiresome. If you're Christine Brennan, do you not get exhausted writing no. the same outrage? She stays over relevant. Everything over she and over stays again? relevant by getting clicks by doing this and a very repetitive storyline. I would just get so bored. If I were her, like I'd, I'd be so bored being I mean, upset I get, about that. Yeah, I mean it's the it's very predictable though. I get bored with media being predictable. Yeah, and it's, let's, it, let's it's mix ex- it up. It's extremely predictable. Unpredictability is a good yeah. thing sometimes. Yeah, you know uh, the unpredictable thing would have been waking up today and not one person you know what I having enjoyed? a problem with that and everybody laughing at it. I enjoyed the the responses on social media, which are really funny if you zoom in on it and you can check that out. I also enjoyed watching the round of golf. That Christine Brennan would prefer not to do. Watching the round I, of golf of Tiger Woods. I, I enjoyed watched, watching Tiger Woods putt into a bunker today. Yes. That was the highlight of my day, <laughs> was watching that. First off, because it made me feel better about my golf game, watching Tiger Woods you know, putt into a bunker. Yeah. But also, here's my thoughts watching Tiger Woods now. It's that I'm honestly worried for the guy on every step, but I can't turn away. It's not the Daytona 500 NASCAR car crash right. type thing. I'm just I'm watching him, and I'm studying him like a physical therapist. Well, and, and he's playing would study their patient, and he's playing just well enough to make you believe. You know, it's I not, love it. I, you I, don't, I don't want to wa- wa- watch the car accident until it gets to a certain point, and then it's like okay, tap it, enough. Um, in this case, it's he's giving us just enough every time he plays. To where you want to believe that, oh, maybe that next major is the next one where he's going to be in contention. But Probably not, but you're still tuned in to find out what's going to happen and if he's going to make the cut. Well, we're watching before the show today, and what did I keep saying? Oh, don't, don't step in that drainage hole. Mm-hmm. Don't step in that divot. Yeah, don't turn an I'm ankle. watching every step and thinking, oh, this is where he's going to turn his ankle or 
he's going to have another knee problem or his surgically repaired leg is going to give out, even the bunker shot. I mean, how is he going to get down there in the bunker? and get? It's just, it's must-watch TV in an odd way. I mean, he's not, I said, I don't think he's going to win another tournament, but what he did in this tournament is really, really impressive. Even if he does not make the cut, it's very impressive that he was two under par after one round and finishes with a chance to make the weekend, given everything that's gone on. But I, I watch Tiger Woods now with a mix of excitement and fear with every step that he takes. But I can't stop watching. Coming up, we will preview what's one of the, the best games of the college basketball weekend uh, as Kentucky in a big matchup hosts Tennessee tomorrow. We'll detail that. Chad, we, were, uh, we had Trey Wallace on yesterday, and right now you can go to outkick.com and you can hear the podcast where he had a chat with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. And as we set up a pod system and, and the three common opponents that Chad came up with late, uh, middle of last year, uh, once Texas and Oklahoma joined the conference, we now know that's going to be July 1st, 2024. And here's what Greg Sankey told Trey Wallace about the SEC plans to do uh, for scheduling moving forward. And when we announced the expansion, uh, I basically said two things right up front. Let's engage in blue sky thinking, which is meant to look really broadly at the possibilities. And the second was we needed to rotate our teams through all of our campuses with greater frequency. And so let's look at a scheduling model that would facilitate that. You know, now some cross divisional opponents, it's 12 years between visits. Um, and then we went into a discussion with athletics directors, both as group in a group setting and individually, uh, really for about six months. What do they want? What are their priorities? The words fairness and balance are always talked about. Then we had to define those. And the fairness issue is rotation. Excuse me, the, the balance issue is frequent rotation through the schedules. The, the fairness issue is kind of a competitive bandwidth. Uh, that can be accomplished in a number of ways. We looked at 40 plus different models with all kinds of submodels off of those. Long answer to say, we're going to walk up to, is it a divisional format or is it a single divisional format? What are the continuing annual opponents? What are those that rotate? Is it eight or nine? And then how often do we see everyone rotate through the schedules? I think we have from today about 90 days to figure that out. I'd, I'd welcome the chance to make decisions before we go to Destin. There's Greg saying you can hear the full conversation, outkick.com, Trey Wallace podcast. Chad, it, it, they're going to nine games. Yep. And they're doing away with divisions. That, mm -hmm. I think we know that. The question is the common opponent angle and which programs in your traditional rivalry matchups stay alive versus which must be sacrificed based on Texas and Oklahoma joining the conference. And you had to do the, uh, the digging to pair up what made sense for each program. And it's not just based on, oh, this will be a great matchup in 2023. You're looking at it in totality of what makes sense regionally and what has made sense over the history of the conference and college football. Yeah, and I came up with this list a while back for OutKick, and it's uh, at OutKick.com. I'll also say that, talking about history, I think this move to nine games is going to happen, and it was in inevitable. 6-3 breakdown, I'm fine with that. I don't like losing the divisions. That's now historic. 
It sounds crazy to some people. It's been around for 31 years, the divisional format. So I don't necessarily like I think that's a bigger break than what we're giving credit for. I think it was a bigger break in SEC basketball than what we give it credit for. So I don't love the split with no divisions, but going straight down, you know, one through 16. But this is the most likely scenario, and I don't hate it. I mean, nine SEC games, it's going to be a better product. You're going to get one less, you know, cupcake game throughout the year. You're going to get more conference opponents and big-time rivalries. And I think it would look something like this in terms of common opponents if you're looking at every team having three constant opponents and rotating the other six. I'll hit some of the highlights here. I'm not going to go through every program. Alabama is going to be on top of mind for everyone every season, especially when Nick Saban is there. Their constant opponents in my model would be Tennessee, which is the third Saturday in October, yep. big-time historic rivalry. To me, that has to stay. And the other one's got to stay is the Iron Bowl. Yep. Alabama, Auburn would stay, and then you bring on Texas to play Alabama every year. Now, some other teams, you look at that and say, that's pretty tough. If you're Alabama, those three teams, I'd also say, well, you're Alabama. I tried to factor in, you know, Vanderbilt needs to play a Vanderbilt-like program historically. You know, they, they, you got to look at that, too. People immediately jumped and said, well, Tennessee's way too easy because I have Tennessee playing. By the way, Alabama every year. Continue. That's not easy. But their other two would be Vanderbilt, in-state rival, and Kentucky. Well, I got to pair Kentucky with someone. Tennessee was maybe Kentucky's biggest rival in the SEC if you polled Kentucky fans. So that's a game that would have meaning for them. There's no perfect way to put it together, but I think this would be the most sound solution. Texas. Texas, Oklahoma has to happen. Texas, Texas A&M has to happen. Yes. Texas, Alabama would be awesome for the college football fan. Do Texas fans want to play Alabama every year? Probably not. Do SEC fans want to watch that game every year? Absolutely. So I put that game in. Oklahoma would have Texas, would have A&M. You got the old Southwest Conference rivals, the old Big 12 rivals, with those three teams playing around Robin. And then I added an old Big 12 team to the mix with Missouri as Oklahoma's other constant opponent. So, again, there's no perfect scenario here where everyone is going to have an even schedule. They're going to play two good teams and one so-so program. Some are going to play an easier constant opponent schedule. Others will play more difficult Bottom line is, I tried to factor in what's most fair given the history of the programs, but the biggest part of it is, what do college football fans want to see every year? And this is the model I came up with. So, I, I, also a part of this is not based on ease of schedule, but at some point, you have programs that must be paired together because you're making room for the rivalries that have traditionally mattered over time. And by the way, uh, having a big say in this, I believe, will be the television network of ESPN, ABC, Disney. Because they want, on an annual basis, the best possible program matchups historically, year after year after year, instead of every other year or whatever they're trying to set up where every team visits everyone within a certain amount of time. Well, now that everything moves to ESPN, so that is, there is an SEC network, which is also owned by Disney, ESPN, mm -hmm. but... ESPN is the SEC network also, ESPN2, ESPNU, any of their properties, ESPN Plus will now also be the SEC network by extension. What are the matchups right off the bat that you say, they'll say, we have to have these every year. Iron Bowl, Red River Shootout, 
A&M, Texas, Florida, Georgia. Yep. I mean, it's the ones that everyone thinks about to begin with. They will go through that list first and decide from a television product with the amount of money we're paying you and also with the more money you're going to want to make in the next contract, here's what we must have. Then you balance that out, Hutton, I think, with what do the schools want, what rivalry is important to them, what's important in terms of parity, mm-hmm. not parity, but parity, from a standpoint of we need to play, you know, we got to play Kentucky or Ole Miss or Mississippi State and not have three national championship winning programs every year in our constant. Programs are going to want that too. Not everyone's going to get what they want. That's the bottom line with all of this. No one's going to get, someone might, but not every team can get everything they want. It's going to be a balance of what the television networks want with what the schools want. Well, and television network, I should networks, say, with ESPN. Yeah. This, this to me is the best possible model given the circumstance of how you come up with a schedule where you're going to over what is his goal every two years? You're playing or every, every two years. You would rotate. Yes, playing. You're, you're going to play through. three, and then the other twelve would rotate yeah. every other year. You'd have. I don't know how else you schedule. make this happen. If that's your goal, where every other year your program. So every every four years, a program is coming to your stadium that you haven't seen potentially, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, we, uh, Billy Lucci yesterday said, A and M has not visited Kentucky. And Georgia has not visited Georgia, A&M. Georgia has not which been would to be a great Station, matchup, which would be awesome, right? Like those are the. I don't. I don't think about it in those terms on a weekly basis on the current SEC schedule, and I don't know how you pull it off. With can you do that and still have divisions, and keep it keep it I, I, probably even not. where the the East teams are playing East teams that determine tiebreakers, right? Like, can you pull that off and still accomplish what they're trying to accomplish on a weekly basis? And not on a weekly basis, on an annual basis with new teams at stadiums. I don't think so, because to have a division, you got to play every team in your division. Right. To make it division, you know, really separate it properly, and that wouldn't happen in this format. One thing that I do not like about what Greg Sankey has said, and he said it some different places, the concept that, Flex scheduling, the way it's done now, will change. So what's done now? The NFL would love to have this, by the way, throughout the year, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. The SEC has it, has it. The television networks and the SEC has it great right now in that they wait until 12 days out. So the Monday before the, fa- the next Saturday, after that Saturday, you find out what network you're on and when you're kicking off mm-hmm. in that game. That is done to optimize kickoff time, network, and interest in that game. It helps ESPN now in a big way. Well, Greg Sankey sort of alluded to this. Maybe we'll have flex scheduling with two games that we can move from afternoon to night, but they want to move towards before the season kicks, you're going to know when your team's playing every week and on what what network. Why does that not make sense? Because you might pick Georgia-Auburn for early November as the ESPN primetime big money game and Auburn could be 2-7 and seven when they play. And no one's going to want to watch that game. And a game you're not expecting is going to be great, and then you're not going to have that in primetime. A good example is this past year with Tennessee. No one was expecting Tennessee to be in the national championship hunt. Well, once they were, 
And they start out undefeated and they beat out, well, guess what? They're in CBS games. They're at night games, no matter who they're playing. That flexibility gives you the best possible TV product. But I wonder if they're going to select it the same way CBS traditionally has, where on Saturday at 2.30 Central, it's either been Bama or Georgia on the screen. Well, here's, here's my guess. When he says two games, like right now it's every game. You don't get a kickoff time right. until 12 days before, after the first three, first three weeks scheduled. Then you don't see anything until 12 days before kickoff, and they reshuffle the deck completely. I think what will happen is they will just withhold information on two time slots, 2.30 Central, ESPN, and then the night. ESPN primetime. I like that. Everything else will stay locked in to 11 a.m., a 3 p.m. SEC network, you know, a night game on ESPN2 mm-hmm. or whatever. Those two will remain open, and the SEC will decide to move games into that or move games into night and then shuffle it that way. So there's less shuffling, but that's better than just, you know, locking everything in. I still like the way it's done now. I don't think it affects attendance that much. The one selling point would be, hey, if I know that Tennessee plays Texas A&M this year, if A&M and Tennessee are going to be played at night in late October or whenever, I'm going to buy a ticket to that game, and that game will sell out quicker. I just don't think the impact of that is that much. Here's the deal. If the game's at 11 a.m. and you know your games are at 11 a.m., they're not going to sell out. It's the worst time to play. So that's going to be the case 12 days out or 12 weeks out. If Unless you know you're playing that. Akron, then Tennessee's going to sell that out. Yeah. When you, when you beat Florida, they'll sell it out. Hit us up with your thoughts at OutKick360. Coming up, a big game for Kentucky tomorrow. We'll explain why as they host Tennessee. Plus, Eric Bieniemy has made up his mind. That's next on OutKick360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is officially the Eric Bieniemy show in Washington for the Commanders. He's been hired as the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach with Ron Rivera. Making that official, he decided he would take that position instead of staying in Kansas City. So now the expectation is Matt Nagy will move into the offensive coordinator role in Kansas City. Bieniemy has full control of the offense now in Washington. Also, another hire, Thomas Brown, is the new offensive coordinator in Carolina. He is the tight ends coach, or was the tight ends coach, with the Rams. Go figure. Another McVay uh, assistant gets hired and a chance to step up in the coaching ranks. Chad? By the way, if Eric Bieniemy lights it up with the commander's offense yeah. and Carson Wentz and doesn't get a head coaching job, it may be racist. I may have to come <laughs> back and change my stance and say, all right, there's no more excuses now. This guy's lit it up with it being his show completely with maybe Carson Wentz at quarterback, Taylor Heineke, whoever it is. Sam uh, Howell. Sam Howell's who's being discussed. If yeah, he even, lights no it up, matter who. if he lights it up with Sam Howell, that dude deserves a head coaching opportunity. And he'll get it immediately. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think he will get it. 
Chad, a big game tomorrow for the Kentucky Wildcats in college hoops. This game, it's, it's, it's a game featuring the number 10 team in the country in Tennessee versus an unranked team. This game is all about Kentucky. Kentucky, based on what bracketology you look at, is either maybe the last team in the tournament or one of the first four out of the tournament. They can move themselves off the bubble a bit and into the field comfortably Mm. if they win tomorrow. They'll have a sweep of Tennessee. And Tennessee is one of the net rankings, one of the best teams in the country. They will have beaten them in Knoxville, beaten them in Lexington. But this game is all about Kentucky. Tennessee's fine. They're secure. They're going to be a high seed in the tournament. I'm not saying they're not going to go up there and not you know, want to win and play well. They don't want to get swept by Kentucky. But for the college basketball world, Hutton, from a macro sense, Kentucky not making the tournament is a big deal. This is a big day for college basketball, a big day for Kentucky. It's a must-win for the Wildcats. Why do we have to wait until the day of to get lines? It's sometimes the night before they'll come out. College basketball, it's, it's trickier because they don't get as much intel. I think so. They wait until the last so minute strange, though, to release like, a release a line. We can, we can bet on all kinds of stuff, but yet we can't get the college basketball line. And it's not like college football is any more transparent with injuries, right? I mean, Tennessee's got two starters again that are game time decisions. Yes. Okay. The thought is maybe they're hopeful one of the two will be back for this game, but not both. But neither could be back. Still, no so line that posted. that affects the line, even though they just beat Alabama without them. That will affect the line one way or the other. You think there's any chance the line is similar to what Tennessee was to Bama and everyone freaks out? I think Kentucky will be favored. I think it's going to be Kentucky like minus two and a half. It's going to be a very small line, but Kentucky will be favored. Because of what's at stake, too. And it's at home. I mean, Rupp Arena is going to give you eight points probably for a game. I mean, that home court environment will give you some points. Uh, Chad, great week. Uh, Sad day, at least for us. Not for Al Kick or Fox. Uh, but here in Nashville at our hub, Corey Taylor, uh, we're not losing him with the company, but he is uh, moving to New York due to family obligations. More uh, Again, uh, we, we salute you for that. Corey joins us now, and we give you a toast, Corey. Uh, since you joined us, you've been nothing but great, and um, hopefully you've enjoyed sitting here and letting us bore you uh, with the sports talk each day as we complain about your uh, uh, trying to get a mic on you know, cough button, whatever it might be. Um, you guys, it's a pleasure to be a part of what I guess you could call the outkick legacy at this point. There you go. Remember day one, Hutton, when I was like, where do you live? I'm going to come fix your studio. And you did. And we did. And you were like, man, this shit looks... <laughs> I'm sorry. To... Exactly. This looks tight. Don't right worry. Here. You're three for three now. It's good. Every outkick employee does it. It's fine. You came over not once, We had to make it a perfect this looks. You were like, this looks tight, and this is good. And I knew that we were going to be like... Good from there. You went to Birmingham with Hutton one time USFL. also. You were at Let's the Super Bowl oh, yeah, with the us. Draft. USFL draft. We uh, did some hit pieces with them doing dra- – it was pretty awesome reporting right Clark there. Clark Lee, interviewed Clark, Clark Lee. Lee, Super Bowl in Arizona. Uh, Corey is a man of many talents. He's, he's, he's a sports fan. He's not the biggest sports fan. Right. That, but I appreciate that you put up with us, Corey. I'm fans of you guys, Talking sports man. this long. Same here. I'm uh, fans of y'all. It's same my to friends. You. Chad and I have said this uh, – uh, we've said it to you in the past too. You hustle. We love – we love those who hustle on, yeah. on, on behalf of anything we're trying, we're trying, any show's trying to accomplish that day. We appreciate you for that. Um, and you're headed to New York. You're headed to uh, Harlem? Yeah, I got an apartment today. It was secured in Harlem. How big is this apartment? Um, $2,000 big. Like, not that much. Like, but it's enough for you. Yeah, it's enough for me. And Corey hopefully can get enough, by. It's he- enough to have my little daughter come and my partner and 
go to the zoo, have a good time. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I kind of railed against New York media yes. yesterday and said they're, they're not as big time as they think they are when they say that someone can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to change my stance now because Corey's a part of New York media. So I feel like New York media just got a little <laughs> bit bigger and better because Corey's going to be a part of it. I know you guys are going to be back up there and you just have to promise that we'll connect. Like when you're in the oh, building, call me. You'll we'll be, be in charge of a night out. And we'll uh, have another beer. Night out and in, our remote broadcast that day. That's Congrats. right. Congrats. We just signed you up for more work. <laughs> you will both uh, engineer everything we're doing in New York, and you'll be out with us that night. Um, I just want to say it again. I really appreciate all you guys. Give me one second to say thank you, Hutton. Thank you, Chad. Learning with this company has taught me so much. It's helping me right now. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Tyler, Dylan, Ryan, Haley, Kylie, Tommy, everybody who's given me a chance to grow and learn. And I just... We'll always take it with me. I appreciate you guys. You're the man. Corey, you've been terrific. And uh, thank you you. for hustling. Thank you guys. Thank you for being a friend. We've got a great production crew now uh, all the way around. So we are in a good spot. And it's in large part because of Corey, who now bolts and leaves us. Chad, call me when he catches on fire. You know what I mean? It'll happen. Yeah, Yeah, we will. Probably tonight. (laughs) Cheers to the weekend, Chad. And what's going to be fun. Uh, We get to find out what Adam Sandler's all about tonight on tour. We'll come back with a full Adam Sandler concert report on Monday and let everyone know the mix of concert and stand-up act, exactly what it was. Daytona 500, SEC Hoops. XFL. XFL kickoff. Genesis Invitational. Um, What will Christine Brennan get mad about next? Yeah. So much to discuss. Uh, my guess is nothing because if Tiger's not playing, no one's going to be locked in like that. Right. What can uh, you know Justin maybe, Thomas do now? Maybe based on the conditions, though, the course is playing much faster, so maybe it can come back a bit. Tiger's one over, and whenever we checked, he was one shot below the cut line. Currently, that's still the case as they're midway through the uh, second half of round two. Have a great weekend. We're back at it on Monday. Outkick 360. We start at 3 o'clock Eastern right here across the Outkick Network. Cheers, everyone.